morning. Man, it's good to be here. Good to be uh, with the Saints this morning. I know we've got folks that are joining us online. We are glad to uh, share these moments with you. Thank you, Daniel. Glad to share these moments with you and thankful for a little technology that binds us together, at least in, uh, in message and in time. Uh, not necessarily space this morning, but I want to let you know that you are dear. Uh, those of you who are with us, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we are going to start our morning, or continue our morning, with prayer. Uh, we are going to pray for a local church, Family Fellowship, and Paul Blue. Uh, we're going to pray for the Mali people of India, 10 million strong, 0.01% of which are Christian. Uh, we're praying, when we pray on each week, we're praying for workers to go to the far corners of the field. We're praying that some of you, and even maybe your kids, who are hearing each week as we pray, that the Lord is softening the heart and actually breaking the heart for a people group, potentially, on the far corners of the field, that the Lord might mobilize somewhat, somebody uh, out of this people to go. Uh, that's, that's part of what we're praying for as well. And we're also praying that the Lord would be softening hearts there to hear the message. So ears to hear and people to go is what we're praying. Uh, and um, let, me t- let me encourage you also, I want to take a moment during this opening prayer time to give you some space to reconcile with brother, sister, son, daughter, mother, father, and Lord. Uh, it's something that actually we've, we've visited this thought in the Sermon on the Mount uh, somewhat recently. In chapter 5, uh, verse 23 and 24, it says, If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, then you leave that offering. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. In this case, it would have been traveling the few miles back to Nazareth to be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift in Jerusalem. So it's clunky, it's cumbersome, it's inefficient, but it's fine. It's fine. And the notion there is, man, I don't want to bring something to the Lord and walk in this you know, reconciled relationship with him if I know full well I'm walking in unreconciled and I haven't even made an attempt to reconcile with a brother or sister. Uh, I haven't always done this. We've been doing this, I guess we've been at this 18 years now. Before that, I was uh, sitting in a service listening to another preacher, and we were raising children. I guess our, uh, I guess Evan was probably five years old at that point, something like that. And man, I don't know what it is about Sunday mornings, but the devil is busy on Sunday mornings, right? Some of y'all that are trying to get kids ready for church or trying to get ready and dressed, man, some of the worst knockdown dragouts we ever had were on a Sunday morning before you go to church. Man, what great ground the devil gains in that where he says, man, you guys are unworthy. You shouldn't even go. You shouldn't even bother. And if you go, keep your head down, make nice, smile at everybody like everything's great, but you know you just had a knockdown drag out. What a great place to reconcile. Like, and I mean place and time, like right now. Before we go to the Lord, Lord, speak to us. Equip us. Prepare us. Give us your message for your people. It might be a little note to your wife in these next few minutes saying, hey, I'm sorry for being short with you this morning. It might be a little turn to your son or daughter because you um, were short with them as they're kind of dragging their feet, getting ready. I mean, it could be anything. It could be a text that you need to send somebody and say, man, I love you, and I'm so sorry we're crossways. Can we talk this week? What a great way to start the morning. The familiar prayer, just later in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses. It's a great place to start and has a dailiness to it. So I want to give some quiet time during this prayer time at the beginning for you to reconcile with the Lord and maybe to reconcile with a brother or sister. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, first of all, this morning, before we bring any petitions to you, any requests, any praises we want to come before you and we want to confess our sins Uh, first of all one to another as we have opportunity but um, first and foremost to a holy God I pray in these next few minutes that you'll bring to mind things that we need to bring to you
Lord, I am so thankful that we find ample forgiveness. As we come to you and asking for forgiveness, we claim that that forgiveness is not by any merit uh, in us, not by any, um, uh, anything special about us. Um, we claim the only ground for forgiveness is our union with Christ by faith and his perfect and wonderful work. Or it's in what he's done for us that we ask for forgiveness from you and we ask for forgiveness from our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray too in these moments as we begin our worship that if we're withholding forgiveness, that we'll let go of that because your forgiveness is so ample and available for us. Work this in us, Lord. Lord, also this morning we want to pray for another local church. Uh, we are delighted at the opportunity to lift up a wonderful church family fellowship thankful for this many years of ministry from uh, through paul blue and his family and his his father and uh, the other uh, deacons and pastors and leadership and small group uh, teachers and all the folks that are are doing life together at family fellowship we lift them up and first of all we celebrate many years of ministry lord we ask you to bless them this morning right now as they are gathering and maybe in a Bible study or, or, or actually in, maybe in a corporate worship time, Lord, we ask, the, ask you to bless them, equip the saints, disciple and raise up the people of God so that we are a salty, potent people in Greenville between Sundays. First of all, in our homes, second of all, in our neighborhoods, and third of all, uh, third in, in the places where we work, the places where we do life from day to day. Lord, we pray this for family fellowship. I pray for Paul. I pray that you would bless him in the ministry, Lord, that he'd have a front row seat to the wonderful things that you're doing in and through the people of God at, at family fellowship. Pray that you bless his marriage, uh, that you would give him endurance, uh, that you would fuel him with worship, that you would guard him from it just ever being a J-O-B. Lord, we are entrusting Paul and his family to you. We are entrusting family fellowship to you. And we're thankful for the chance to lift them up this morning. Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for the Mali people of India. A substantial, like an unimaginable size people group, 10 million strong. Lord, we are thankful that you know every person. You know the number of hairs on every head. You know every worry, every fear, every need, every struggle, every pain, every victory. And 10 million people. And we come to the King of kings and Lord of lords, this mighty God, and we ask you today, Lord, to draw this people group to you. Send workers to the far corners of the field, possibly to the Mali people, because they're uncomfortable staying. Or send them with a burden to enjoy you out loud in the far corners of the field. Lord, couple that with people um, whose ears are being conditioned to hear whose blinders are being readied to be removed as they hear the good news of the gospel of Christ crucified and risen. Draw this people group to you for your glory. Lord, equip us in these next few minutes. Open our eyes to the dangers that we may not even be aware of. Use these next few minutes um, to draw us closer to you, uh, to equip us for the coming weeks and months. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I've got a couple of pictures I thought I would start the morning with, a couple of uh, images. Go ahead and put that first one up. I remember seeing this uh, years ago, and I, I say years, I think it was years ago. I remember seeing this, a group of guys that hunt, and they kind of sent this around to one another, like, man, can you believe this moment where the guy is posing in front of his trophy? He's completely unaware of the danger that's right behind him. I don't know if you've ever had a close encounter with a mountain lion. I had a close encounter many years ago mountain biking in, uh, on Camp Pendleton. Uh, Camp Pendleton is rugged terrain on the West Coast. Uh, there are bison, wild bison all over Camp Pendleton. And there are, is at least one mountain lion that I know of full well. I was on my, my mountain bike screaming down this dirt road, and I came around a corner, and there's a mountain lion so close I could touch him. And he was as frightened as I was. So thankfully, I was going about... 25 miles an hour and he he made haste uh, but it's a, a frightening thing to come face to face with a uh, mountain lion and this guy doesn't even know the dangers that are behind him okay let's go ahead and see this next one 
Now, this one looks Photoshopped to me. I don't, there's no way of knowing. I, I don't know that it's Photoshopped, but this guy, you, you can just, I mean, you see his equipment. He's got these amazing zoom lenses, and I'm imagining that he's probably uh, next to some stream in Alaska, maybe, where the grizzlies come out to uh, have some, some food, you know, some, some salmon, and he's going to capture some of those <laughs> images, and he's got these big telescopic, you know, telescopic lenses, and then right behind him, this big grizzly is, is uh, walking up. So he has no idea the dangers that are right behind him, completely unaware. All right, let's see this next one. This one's a little bit harder to see. Some of y'all are seeing it. I might be in the way of some of you over here that might want to see this. Uh, you know, the happy couple. I mean, you just want to say, man, just blessings to y'all. I just hope you guys have a great life together. And right behind them is this massive crocodile off on the, or alligator, I don't know which, on the far right there. Uh, he might be a little difficult to see. Starting a, a great life together, maybe, and then um, no idea of the dangers that are lurking right behind them. You can go ahead and turn that off. Thank you, Danielle. I put these pictures up here so we can kind of laugh at and kind of connect to and kind of think about, uh, but I put them up there on purpose because I think that we are potentially unaware of real dangers and threats that we face as the people of God. Real dangers and threats that we face as the people of God. That's where our Lord is going in the Sermon on the Mount this morning, and I'm realizing these people who are completely unaware of the threats that are coming up right behind them, that those could very well be us. Those could very well be us. So Jesus this morning is going to be dealing with real threats, real dangers um, that are not unique to uh, an ancient church, but are common and sure to the people of God. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them. By their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us from these words, equip us, open our eyes, uh, give us um, insight into the, da- in, into the dangers and the threats that we face even today. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. In the Sermon on the Mount, where this passage sits, we've just dealt with the narrow way that few find and the wide way that many find. In this passage, in some ways, we're dealing with the teachers and preachers and prophets of the wide way. This passage is going to shed some light on the message, or at least the character, in some ways, of the teachers and preachers and prophets of the wide way that leads to destruction. There will be some little window in here into the narrow way that leads to life and the character of those messengers. But I think just considering where this sits in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the wide way that leads to destruction, the narrow way that leads to life, this message that is, uh, or these messengers that are a danger to us, hopefully before we even climb into this, we can consider together that we we are dealing with very serious matters this morning. Very serious matters. I also think it's worth pointing out, too, that this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is about wholeness. He says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. That word perfect is whole. This sermon is a sermon about shalom, which means peace, but it also means wholeness. This sermon is about finding the good life. Okay, makarios, this Greek word that we considered as we considered the Beatitudes at the very beginning, is about this happiness and wholeness that the people of God experience living life this way. Okay, it is a message about 
wholeness and shalom and fullness. And right here toward the end of it, really in the climax of the sermon, toward the end when you're really driving your point home, he's teaching on the importance of teachers with fidelity and the implied danger of unfaithful, faithless teachers. Just consider that for a moment. That I don't think there's a person in the room in here that wouldn't celebrate the notion of a whole, full, happy life. That how important faithful teaching is in experiencing a whole, full, and happy life. And the flip side, without that, without that whole, full, faithless teaching in your life, you're not going to experience shalom. You're not going to experience wholeness. You can't. Nice little thought just right here at the beginning. I thought we're going to spend the morning. Let me give you a little map of how we're going to spend these next few minutes. I want to spend a moment really kind of giving um, a little more thorough introduction, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time excavating our passage. And it's going to be a light excavation. Okay, it's not going to be real deep. We're not going to pull out every little thing there, but we're going to pull out some really important things. But I think the introduction is important because as much as I would like to think that we all are on our guard always, I think we probably have more in common with these pictures at the very beginning than we might realize. So I'm going to spend a little more time at the very beginning doing a little bit of uh, introduction. This, this charge or this warning uh, is that at the very beginning of this passage, the very first word in this passage is the word beware. Okay, there are only two imperatives in this entire passage, and this is one of them. An imperative is like a command. Like If you could imagine someone raising their voice in a teaching, that would be the place where they're saying, beware. This is the place where our Lord from the mount would say, beware. The only other imperative is at the very end where he says, depart from me you workers of lawlessness. So this first one, beware, is like a shout. It's like a charge. Beware. And that should condition these next few minutes as we look, first of all, where this begins back in the Old Testament. I, I'm, I would encourage you maybe to uh, just jot down these passages. If you're a, a visual learner, then you may want to flip over to just a few passages. We're going to do a little bit of a survey Okay, the Puritans were the ones that when, when a Puritan was making an argument, they would make about a thousand references. We're not doing a thousand, we're just doing a few. But it's going to be a little bit Puritan-like as we sort of bolster the uh, evidence there that being on guard and being uh, vigilant makes a whole lot of sense given the whole story. Okay, this is the first reference that I found to false teaching over in the book of Deuteronomy. You may jot this passage down. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come true and does not come to pass, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him. This first little introduction here is to presumptuous prophets. And this is Deuteronomy would be around 1500 BC. That's about the time of Moses. Okay, that's not like pinpoint accurate, but it's a roundabout, about 1500 years before Christ. Okay, let's fast forward to the time of Joshua maybe 800 or so, seven or 800 years before Christ. So we're about halfway through that period between Moses and Christ. Let's see how the people are doing and how the prophets are doing in Jeremiah. Jeremiah gives some window into the fidelity or lack thereof of the preachers and prophets in the time that's about to lead them into exile into Babylon and Assyria. Beginning in verse 14 of Jeremiah 14, listen to what is said about the prophets and the preachers and the teachers and the people. The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They're prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. Peace, peace. Remember that message from Micah? The false preachers of Micah? Peace, peace. It's all good. There's no mountain lion behind you. 
There's no grizzly behind you. There's no crocodile or alligator behind you. Sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. The same thing we heard over 1,500 years earlier before Christ, 700 years or so before this message. God said through Moses, that person, that prophet shall die. And the people to whom they prophesy, these false prophets, these people shall be cast into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters, for I will pour out the evil upon them. You shall say to them this word, Let my eyes run down with tears night and day, and let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people is shattered with a great wound, with a very grievous blow. That's what the the description sounds like with unfaithful, faithless preachers. That's the disintegration, the opposite of what we were talking about this morning right off the bat, the shalom that we'll experience listening to faithful prophets and teaching and preaching. If I go into the field, behold, those pierced by the sword. If I enter the city, behold, the diseases of famine, for both prophet and priest ply their trade through the land and have no knowledge. Sounds like the opposite of shalom. That sheds light on the importance of faithful prophets, faithful teaching, faithful preaching, and faithful messengers. This gruesome picture from our Old Testament is connected to the reality that Israel had a lot of practice of being fooled by false teachers and false prophets. There's a problem for the old Israel. But maybe the new Israel has a different track record. Let's fast forward about seven or 800 years and go to the Gospels and just see how things are going by the time we get to Matthew. First of all, we've got the passage that we're dealing with this morning where Jesus is starting off by saying, beware. But there are other places where he charges that we need to pay attention and be on guard. In Matthew chapter 24, he's speaking about the signs of the end of the age. And before I even read what he's going to say there, I want to connect you with the thought that we're in the end of the age right now. I'm not talking like Jesus is coming tomorrow. That's possible. But I'm not saying that this end times are going to happen in these next few weeks or months. I'm not going to put a day on the calendar. But I believe with everything in me, we're in the end of the age now. If you pan out and look at the story of redemption, you realize there's creation, there's fall, redemption, and there's return. The next thing that's going to happen is the return of Christ. We're in the end of the story right now. If we were living in a book, we'd be in the next to last chapter. And the last chapter is the return of Christ. We're in the end of the age right now. And here's what's characteristic of the end of the age, according to our Lord. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. The bear, the crocodile, the mountain lion are right behind us. Right behind us. Fast forward to a little letter from Paul to the churches in Corinth. It's a little window into the Gospels there. Fast forward to an early church. Let's see what uh, Paul has to say to an early church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 13. He's speaking of false prophets and false teachers that are undermining his work and the work of his fellow apostles. He says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostle of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to to their deeds. Sound familiar? Their end will correspond to their deeds. A little window into the ancient church, and right there Paul is warning the Corinthians... These false prophets and teachers will disguise themselves. They might disguise themselves even to try and look like you. And they might be pretty good at it. Disguising themselves like wolves disguised in sheep's clothing. One more little window and then we're going to get into... Actually, I have two more, three more windows. But one is very brief and then two we're going to spend a moment on. So actually, if you want to turn in your Bibles and be ready, turn to Acts chapter 20. And then I'll read this really brief last window. 
into a charge to a young pastor. We had a little window into this warning against false teachers in the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, you'll test them by the outcome. Okay, this warning into the false teachers in the time of Jeremiah, where they're about to go into exile. Okay, where they're listening to false teachers. Then we have a little window into the Gospels in Matthew, where Jesus is warning that the end times will be populated with prophets that are leading many astray. And then we had a little window into an early church where Paul is charging the Corinthians with paying attention to false teachers and false prophets and their wiles and their ways. And now we have a little window into a pastor, like a senior pastor maybe, giving some counsel to a young pastor named Timothy. This is a dear passage for most teachers and preachers, and some of you might be able to identify with it. The charge in this passage is stirring. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing as his kingdom, preach the word. Man, it's stirring for me. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out. Wait a minute. You mean preaching might be out of season? You can imagine Timothy turning to Paul and saying, what? I thought I was signing up for something that was going to always be rewarding. Like the wind was going to be to my back. I mean, this is God-ordained, God-approved. This is going to be easy, right? No, there's going to be times and seasons where you're out of season. But you keep doing what I'm charging you to do. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves Teachers to suit their own passions. Ugh. Sounds like there's nothing new under the sun. It sounds like the old Israel, doesn't it? The new Israel is apparently prone to the same things of the old Israel. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Man, apparently there's nothing new under the sun. Let me show you two more windows, and we're going to spend just a few more minutes on these two windows because they're really illuminating. In Acts chapter 20, if you're already there, we'll begin in verse 29. I'll give you a little context. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. Paul planted a church in Ephesus. One thing that's true about Paul and his church planting is he didn't just roll into town for a couple days and then he's gone. There may have been some occasions where he only spent a brief time in one place or another, but most of the places where he planted a church, he planted himself for a period of time. And that was true in the Ephesian church. In chapter, 17, or in chapter 20, verse 17 and 18, it says, From Miletus he, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Okay, we've got an elder meeting with Paul there. When they came to him, he said to him, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot into Asia. And he then begins to speak about how he lived his life there, reminding them that he was faithful in the time that he spent with them. Faithful to preach the full counsel and faithful, too, that his life reflected his message. And let's see what he promises later on in this passage in verse, beginning in verse 29. I know that after my departure... Not, hey, maybe after I leave. I know after my departure something's going to happen. I know full well after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Ephesian brothers, Ephesian pastors, Ephesian elders, I know there is a bear and a crocodile and a mountain lion behind you. And I'm warning you right now. The moment I leave... Man, they're going to come running in. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. The same message from our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware. Be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish, the Greek word means warn everyone with tears. Man, there's some beautiful things that come out of this passage, beautiful insights. They're not great to hear, but they're great to know. He says, after I leave, from your own number, 
people that are part of your church and potentially part of your elder body. Man, if there's nothing new under the sun, we're seeing all these windows from Deuteronomy all the way over to Acts now, all the way over, fast forward to the Corinthian church. Fast forward to us 2,000 years later. This warning from Paul to the Ephesian elders is when I leave, wolves are going to come in and they will come from among you. Potentially even from your, enti- from your own elder body. And what will they do? They will draw you away. Notice the geography. Notice to the trajectory. Right off the bat, you can get the idea that a false teacher is going to be drawing people away from the people of God, not toward. You know what a false teacher, how they're going to work? They're going to draw people away. They're going to work at dividing and drawing away. Notice the trajectory. And he says, be on your guard. Present tense, an ongoing charge to be vigilant, to be careful, paying attention he says i never stopped warning you the last place i want to go is second peter chapter two and then we're going to move to our primary passage this morning and again i want to remind you if you're like wow this is a long intro it is a long intro but we're gonna do a light excavation okay second peter chapter two i do want you to turn here second peter chapter two peter is here warning the early church in the diaspora That means all over the Roman Empire. Oftentimes, these guys wrote, like Paul and Peter, they wrote these what were called epistles that are letters that were circulated among the churches in the the first, second century, and really that from that point on as they became part of the entire Bible. Okay, so we're reading something from Paul written to saints all over the Roman Empire. He starts in chapter 2 of 2 Peter. False prophets also arose among the people. He's speaking past tense. Peter's doing the same thing in a shorter version that we did this morning. When I referenced Deuteronomy chapter 20, when I referenced Jeremiah, Peter's doing the same thing and saying false prophets also rose among those people, the old Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you, the new Israel, the church. He makes a promise. He doesn't say maybe. He says, I know, almost like, almost like Paul said, I know this will happen. And they will come in and secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, not idle and their destruction is not asleep. There's so many things that are familiar in that passage with what we've read all this morning already. But look forward at verse 17. These false prophets, false teachers, false messengers, false heralds are waterless springs, mists driven by the storm, not bringing any real refreshment, like mirages, really. They look like they're going to bring refreshment, but when you look at it, really, in the aftermath, is there was no refreshment brought at all. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for speaking loud boasts. In the Greek, that means mouthing empty words. Mouthing. That just, that's a great image of these false teachers. Speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Man, this is a... This is a shocking passage, really, realizing many will draw, but it's also an illuminating passage and shedding light on these false teachers that are described as waterless springs. They mouth empty words. They entice, drawing away, connecting these dots, drawing away and dividing, drawing away after them. Come follow me over here. And they promise. It happened to the old Israel. And it is common to the new Israel. It will happen to you, or what our writers say, through this living word. False prophets and a message that draws you away rather than toward. All that to say this morning as an introduction, the mountain lions are behind us. The bears are behind us. The alligators are behind us, whether we realize it. Or not. So let's go back to our home base this morning, Matthew chapter 7. 
We're going to excavate, do a light excavation of this passage and see what we can draw out and glean from this passage. I really only have two points at the very end. So we've done a large part of our work this morning already. I think it's kind of helpful to you know, for you to know for the economy of effort and economy of listening. Beginning in chapter 7, we're going to excavate just our, uh, these passages that we've read this morning already. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This is possibly, we don't know this for sure, this image of wolves in sheep's clothing possibly came from Esau's fables. Some of you that taught ancient history or have learned, paid attention in ancient history class know about Esau. He was a, a Greek slave around 700, 600 years before Christ. He wrote a fable about a wolf that took on sheep's clothing and snuck into the flock. And it's interesting, uh, that as, as his little story goes, as his fable goes, the shepherd came one night to get some meat. And he's going to kill a, a sheep. And he actually killed the wolf. And, so, and there's a moral, at least to this fable. I haven't read his other fables or really any of his other fables that I know of. I'm not like an Aesop uh, expert or anything. But his uh, actual moral was harm seek, harm find. Isn't that great? Guy putting on sheep's clothing. He's like, yes, wolf, I'm going to go out there and get some. And he ended up getting killed. Harm seek, harm find. Now, we don't know that that's exactly where this came from, but it has a lot of similarities. And we can think about, too, when these people showed up on this mount 2,000 years ago, they carried their context with them. And the ancient Greek teachers and the Greek fables and all those things carried with them, to, them as well to that mount. So Jesus likely was speaking about some imagery and some metaphor that they were familiar with. Some things that come out of just this one passage, this first metaphor of a wolf in sheep's clothing. First of all, he identifies prophets, plural. Plural. Sounds like it kind of fits with the scope and the breadth of the warnings. This is a very real and plural problem. We're not talking about something rare and uncommon. We're talking about something that's plural and common. He says, they come to you. Apparently, these wolves in sheep's clothing are on the offensive like a predator. You don't have to go find them. They'll find you. They're going out of their way to find you. They appear harmless. They appear to be just another sheep, yet they are ravenous wolves, and they are hungry to eat what's in the sheepfold. Sheep. In other words, you. You're their meal. And the charge there is beware. The metaphor shifts in verse 16 from wolves in sheep's clothing to a tree and its fruit. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. A shift in metaphor completely from a wolf in sheep's clothing to just the very next verse, a tree and its fruit. And the charge here, or the, the, the warning is that false prophets can be recognized by their fruits. And the fruits in the book of Matthew okay, are referenced, are, are metaphor of the good deeds and the character of people. The fruits are the good works and the good deeds that reveal the character of a person. And then right here within that little passage about the, tr the tree and the fruit is like a whole agronomy lesson. Good things come from good healthy fruit, comes from good healthy trees. And certain kind of fruit comes from certain kind of trees. It's, you can climb into that. He's expounding on the nature of this metaphor. And it ends with a promise again. You will recognize them by their fruits. So here's just a brief little takeaway from that second metaphor. The thought is implied that evaluating a prophet by other means, other means than fruit and their character may lead to unreliable conclusions. I'm going to say that again because we judge prophets by their eloquence. We judge prophets and teachers and messengers by their sense of humor. Man, I love listening to that preacher. He's so funny. Am I right? Man, this guy's so easy to listen to. He's so eloquent. He's so well-spoken. Isn't that a common reference? The thought here is that judging the prophet 
preacher, teacher, messenger, herald, by anything other than their fruit may lead to unreliable outcomes. <laughs> That's going to have a nice little connection later. Okay, here's a little midpoint objection. I'm going to read the rest of this passage. We're going to do a light excavation there on verses 21 through 23. But here's a little midpoint objection. If you've been paying attention with these first two metaphors, you got this metaphor of wolves in sheep's clothing. And there's this implied thought. You can't tell. They're wearing the same stuff you wear. They're wearing your clothes. They're incognito is sort of the thought. But then in the next verse, verses 16 through 20, it's like almost like spoken as a matter of fact. Well, you're going to know them by their fruit. It's obvious. Okay, in the first, verse 15 metaphor, it's like you're not going to know them because they're hidden and obscure and they're incognito and they're in disguise. But then in verses 16 through 20, well, they're obvious. As the fruit is hanging from a tree, you can obviously see what it is. So it's a little midpoint objection that I want to acknowledge. We're going to have to reconcile this morning. And we will at the very end. Okay, so you might make a little mental note. How do we reconcile this thing that seems obscure with this thing that just a couple of verses later, actually the next verse, seems to present it as obvious? I would want to know the, the answer to that. So I hope that you want to know this morning. We're going to reconcile that at the very end. So let's go back to excavating these last three verses. Beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So let me deal with something first. Your Bibles separate those two sections, don't they? I mean, I don't know of any contemporary Bible, modern Bible, that unless you have the Greek or some really obscure old version that I'm not familiar with, you have a little heading. In fact, the heading in mine is... Uh, the first one is a tree and its fruit. Uh, there's nothing about wolves in there, but tree and its fruit. You know, the headings can't be too long. <laughs> a tree and its fruit. And then this next heading is I never knew you. Okay? I want to encourage you as you look at this passage to just take out that second heading and consider this one, one full passage. And let me show you the connections there. We're dealing with prophets. False prophets, false teachers, false messengers. And then down in that second section, verses 21 through 23, the first thing that's listed there is, I, did, I prophesied in your name. Okay, so there's a prophet connection, but there's more than that. It's more substantial than just the mention of prophet. There's also the word in the first few verses, verses 15 through 20, the, the word that's used for produce or bear. Producing and bearing fruit is a word that's just throughout that passage. It's the same exact word that's used in those next few verses for doing. We did these things in your name. In the Greek, it's the same word. And oftentimes, things like that can be invisible to us because they're translated in a different English word. But there's an integrity to this passage that is a little bit obscure, but I would like for you to consider that this is continuing the conversation about beware, or, uh, being vigilant and being mindful and beware false prophets that this Lord, Lord, I never knew you uh, paragraph is still part of that conversation. Really, verses 21 through 23 are about the messengers of the wide and, and narrow way. It's defining and developing even further the character of the messengers of the narrow way. And there's a contrast between false prophets who are doing prophecies, exorcisms even, casting out demons, and miracles, and he characterizes them as being in the wide way that leads to destruction. Man, I hope that, like everybody in the room, if you're paying attention, you're kind of going, oh, that, that sounds weird. Didn't Peter and Paul and Silas and Barnabas do a bunch of those kind of things also? How do we reconcile that? We'll deal with that. But at least in this passage, he's contrasting people that are saying, I did all these things in your name with what appears to be the one who is good fruit, Okay, the bad fruit of doing all these things in your name and then the good fruit. And look at it here in um, verse, give me a moment to get my bearing here. What, what book of the Bible were we in? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Contrasting it with verse 21. I'm just kidding. I know where we are. We're in church. Now, everyone who says to me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but here's the one. Here's the good fruit. The one who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
So the contrast there is of the messenger of the wide way with the messenger of the narrow way. The messenger of the wide way is doing prophecies and exorcisms and miracles. And the messenger of the narrow way, just doing the will of the Father. Isn't that nice? He's just doing the will of the Father. It's really, really beautiful. You might be stuck on the thought of someone being able to do miracles, exorcisms, and prophecies that actually come true as being something that's pretty convincing. Well, how would I dismiss that? Take you back to Exodus chapter 7. You remember the story of the uh, uh, Pharaoh and his uh, counselors and his magicians being able to replicate the things that Moses and Aaron were doing? But that we all know they were false teachers and false prophets and false seers. So the, apparently magicians and seers are able to do some things that could be pretty amazing. But that is not proof of someone's godliness. Not necessarily and not at all. Instead, it's going to be one who is doing the will of the Father. So how do we integrate these things? How does this fit in the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount is about wholeness. The Sermon on the Mount is about being righteous within and without. And here's how to reconcile that person who's able to do miracles and exorcisms and prophecies in the Lord's name. That was external righteousness and external only. That's the wide way that leads to destruction. That's what's frightening, hopefully, for a room full of brothers and sisters in Christ. To go, wait a second. External righteousness is bankrupt. The prophets and preachers and messengers that are doing these things in the name of the Lord, but are only doing it externally and are not true within, are hellbound. That's the wide way that leads to death. On the other hand, the one who's doing the will of the Father may or may not be doing some prophecies in his name. May or may not be doing some miracles in his name or some exercises in his name. But one thing they will be doing is true. Is there will be good fruit of doing the will of the Father. Simple obedience. What we're talking about here is the true messenger with the true message. Is the one who's going to be doing the will of the Father. With or without the light show. With or without the miracles. Those things are not proof of the validity and fidelity of the teacher or preacher. And I want you to notice something that just really stands out here. And then we're going to get into these two simple considerations. Here's something that's so interesting about these externally righteous people. The people that are in the wide way and their prophets and teachers and their messengers. Here's what they say on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Don't read that as if they're like they're in shock and surprise. Read that as they are indignant. How dare you not let us in? Look at all the great things we did for you while we were here in this life. We did all these things in your name. Man, look how awesome we were. What a contribution we made. That is external righteousness coupled with indignation. How can you not let me in? Look what I'm bringing to the gate. Man, just consider that for a moment. As We'll, we'll come back around to that as we close. These guys in the wide way that are only externally righteous are expecting admission. How dare you not let us in? So the, just the two takeaways that I have. They're connected. Here's the first takeaway. False, harmful prophets and teachers and messengers and heralds are as old as the people of God. They are as old as the people of God. It's not an ancient problem. It is a problem for the people of God period past present and future till our lord returns we have not outgrown this problem these people will exist till christ returns so beware beware we had a really short sermon if we just landed on that at the very beginning right beware and that's point number one just Beware, false teachers and prophets, too, aren't always standing behind one of these. 
false teachers and prophets and heralds might be in the pew right next to you. From among your own people, false teaching and things might be taught and developed that draw people away and divide the people of God. Man, I, I listen, this is not a complaint, it's just a recognition. It's not uncommon for me to see where I stack in the relative scheme of things for some people. And I stack in terms of preaching. Where the preaching of God at Crosspoint Fellowship stacks sometimes compared to a Facebook post is frightening. I'm not saying always, and I'm not saying with everyone, but there are occasions, frequent, where you get the sense that someone's giving a whole lot more validity to a Facebook message and a Facebook development and a Facebook theory than they are to the preaching of God's Word. I don't think false teachers and heralds and prophets and messengers are only behind one of these. And I also don't think they're wearing black like Sam Cobra, black hat, pistols. They're apparently wearing the same thing we wear. And you can find them in all kinds of places, not just behind a pulpit. So my encouragement to you is as you beware, test the preaching. Test the message. Test the words. Test the source. Test what you're hearing. Listen closely for the kind of gospel preached. Is it a gospel that's going to sound sort of like this? We did all these things in your name. How dare you not let us in? Look how great we are. Or is it a gospel that sounds like, you mean you're letting anyone in? You mean you've lavished grace and mercy on any of us? What a shock. You mean we get to spend eternity with you because of our love and union with Christ by faith? And even that is a gift from you? Wow! That, that is the question that you need to ask as you listen to the message. Is it focusing on your works and your performance and your deeds, clean noses and parted hair, shirt tail tucked in? Or is it one of surprise and wonder and shock and awe that grace would reach so low for the likes of us? Test the message. And here's the second part of that. Test the messenger. I'm saying that right now as one of them. Search your messengers. Search your heralds. Search the teacher behind the lesson. Search the preacher behind the message. Are they living out the message? Is that message drawing people into fellowship? Or is it drawing people away after their own selves? Is it enticing? Is it dividing? Or is it beckoning and calling? Here's the only real tell about how this all works. You know, I told you there's this rub. Wolves in sheep's clothing, obscure, incognito, hidden. And then over here, we've got this tree that's bearing fruit that's obvious. Well, look, that's an apple. Obvious, easy. It's easy. Over here is presented as really hard and difficult. Over here, over here is presented as really easy. Here's the way to reconcile that. The only way to understand the fidelity of a message and the messenger is as a factor of time. Time. The wolf will reveal his true nature in time, guaranteed. And the tree will bear its fruit in time. So the encouragement there, the thought there is stick around with your teacher, stick around with the message. Test that message and test that teacher, test that prophet, test that herald over time. See if their message matches their lives. That's a great way to figure out whether that message is true. I thought it was a beautiful picture in 
Acts chapter 20, where Paul is reminding them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, the first moment I hit the ground there, serving the Lord with all humility, with all tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul's appeal to the Ephesian church. Test the messenger and the message together as a factor of time. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this window into this danger that we face. Lord, I pray the saints this morning at Crosspoint have been equipped, first of all, with the realization that there is an ever-present danger. It's ancient and it's current and everything in between. Lord, I pray, too, that the saints this morning are equipped with the notion of how uh, to root out uh, the false prophet and the false teacher, how to discern the fidelity of the message and the messenger. Lord, so I, I place this uh, I request, actually, that this teaching will fit within a place of being open and vulnerable and honest from the pulpit to the pew. Lord, test us and test our message. Keep us true and keep us focused on the personal work of Christ in awe and wonder that grace should reach so low. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Grab your supper. I, uh, I'm going to do a little something here, on the su- a little something different on the supper today. So I'll give you a minute to get situated. Because I want you to really pay attention to this. This is from our passage this morning. So I'll give you a chance to you can peel off all that you need to do on that little kit. This last paragraph, the I never knew you paragraph, has troubled the saints for 2,000 years. I bet there are people in this room that has troubled before where you've reckoned with this thought. I don't want to hear the words, I never knew you. Lord, I greeted in your name. I, uh, I, I uh, deaconed in your name. I preached in your name. I did all these things. I don't want to hear the words, I never knew you. It's a frightening passage, right? If it's left alone. Seeing where it fits in context, you understand that he's speaking to the false prophets. And he's speaking of that wide way that leads to death. Okay, but still, still, it's a frightening passage. And it's frightened the saints, I think, for a couple thousand years. If you realize it's the response of one believing to be righteous by their prophecies and their exorcisms and their miracles, then we together this morning can rework that paragraph. Okay, we're not adding to God's word. Anybody that's afraid, like, hey, wait a minute, what are we doing? We're not adding to God's word. We're just taking this passage and we're going to rework it as followers of Christ. Okay, and then we'll take the supper together. So just follow with me if you would, indulge me on this. On that day, many will say to me, actually, given the wide and narrow way, I should actually turn that, change that to few. Okay, so let's fit it in context. On that day, a few will say to me, Lord, Lord, on our best day and our worst day, our only righteousness was yours. Lord, Lord, our only virtue was faith, and even that was a gift from God. Lord, Lord, we have no faith in ourselves, no trust in our works, no faith in our prophecies, our counsels, our works, our child care, our deaconing, our eldering, our preaching, our witnessing, our greeting, our administrating, our teaching. Lord, we have faith only in Christ, not in our efforts, but in the singular work of your sinless life and death on a cross whereby you paid for our many sins, period. 
Lord, you are our portion on our best day and our worst. Take with me in faith and eat. You are our love and our desire. You are our only hope. And you are our treasure. Take and drink in faith. Let me close in prayer and we'll go into corporate worship and song. Lord, you are our portion. We take and eat heartily. Thank you so much for inviting us to the table. Thank you so much for grace reaching so low for the likes of us. On our best day and our worst day, Lord, you are our righteousness, and we are so thankful. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand and let's continue in song.